forest, wilderness, being one of the best teachers that man has ever found. One who… one who grows up with the right kind of guidance exposed to wilderness gets the best education that a man can ever get. You know why we place the ashram next to the forest? Just… just in case you're missing the point <laughs> So Pandavas grew up with sages and seers taking care of their education, but above all, Mother Nature taking care of their wisdom and strength. 
grown up very strong, patient, wise, well-versed in the art of weaponry. Pandu, who was cursed, never to approach his wives, who arranged for his wives to bear children through other means. He involved himself with the sages and saints, pursued knowledge, practiced the sadhana of brahmacharya, became a powerful being. One day, when he came out of the forest and approached the river, at the river, in the seclusion of the forest, Madri, his second wife, had just bathed in the river and she came out. When he saw her in that state of nakedness, he was drawn to her and beyond himself, the sixteen years of control he lost and he went for her. She did everything possible to resist because she knew the, about the curse, he knew about the curse, but destiny drew him on and he died in her arms. And she screamed in terror, terror not of just having a husband dead, but knowing the fact that she killed him. So Kunti, who heard these screams, rushed to the place and when she saw this, she flew into a rage. Though different types of emotions simmered, never they found expression between these two wives. But today it found full expression. All kinds of things were said, which were never said for all these years. And then, after emotions ran their full course, Kunti calmed down to the cold purpose of where her children's destiny is. And Madri, out of sheer guilt and suffering, she chose to enter the funeral pyre and she believed that she had to accompany her husband. So for some time, there was a little bit of a competition as to who should go, both of them want to go. But knowing Kunti, it was a little bit of a mock competition. When I say, I want to go, you want to go, then I'll let you go. <laughs> she became perfectly ruthless from that moment onwards, doing everything that is needed. As a queen would do, not as a woman would do, just as a queen would do, became one hundred percent cold to the destiny of where her children should go. And now, accompanied by the rishis, the five Pandavas and Kunti walked towards Hastinapur after little over sixteen years. The news 
went to Hastinapur, the capital of the Kuru kingdom. And a wave of jealousy and hatred spread over Duryodhana because these long-lost cousins are coming back. And a man, a young man who has grown up believing that he will be the king, suddenly has competition which he does not appreciate at all. Suddenly there is somebody else who seems to be legally the correct heir for the kingdom. Though right from his childhood he has grown up as the king's firstborn and he has believed that he is the king. He is the future king. He is already the king in many ways because his father is blind, blind of vision and blind of emotion towards his son. So he's been used to having his way with everything. But now this new competition that's coming is something that he cannot tolerate. Even before he sees the Pandavas, his emotions are fully up. He's already started working. Working up his more insipid brothers who are innocent of such jealousy and hatred and also incompetent of the necessary fire to rule a nation. So he's firing them up, one who… whom he finds most suitable is Dushyasana. He's the number two among the one hundred brothers. So both of them are fully charged even before they arrive. The news of their arrival reached the city and people out of curiosity and love because in their minds they had loved Pandu as their king. Though he was not officially coronated as king, he was the king for all practical purposes. He was the one who brought wealth to the nation, he was the one who conquered lands for them, he was the one who administered them. For sixteen years he's on… he was on a self-imposed exile and now he's dead and his children that they had never seen or coming back is one big excitement, the whole citizenry gathered. The Pandavas along with their mother Kunti approached the city and a cry rose from the crowd. When they saw these young boys coming, sons of their dead king, whom they had never set their eyes upon, who grew up in the jungle, strong and larger than men would be if they grew up in a palace. The one hundred brothers, Dhritarashtra, Gandhari, his wife, Bhishma, Vidura and all the elders gathered at the gates of the city to welcome them. Dhritarashtra, who right from his childhood had heavily depended upon Pandu to see the world and to be helped, never to compete with him, always to be treated with compassion by his younger brother, was in a confused state of emotion. He believed that he loved his brother but suddenly he could not understand the emotions that he was going through. 
because now he also knew that his children will not be kings. So he was confused, I thought I loved my brother, but what is this happening within me? And they were welcomed. The necessary ritual that was needed for Pandu post his passing were done and the moment these boys entered the palace, an untold destiny started unfolding itself. Particularly between Bhima and Duryodhana, because these two boys were the strongest of the lot. Bhima was built like a giant. Duryodhana pretty well matched him in physical strength. And Bhima was so excited being in a palace for the first time in his life. The bubbling, blundering, simpleton that he was, he was all over the place, poking fun at everybody, making practical jokes of people and at every opportunity trouncing and thrashing every one of the Kaurava brothers, including Duryodhana. The first official beginning of their hatred happened when both of them got into the wrestling ring. Duryodhana was absolute of absolute belief that nobody can ever down him in a wrestling ring. He was the strongest among the hundred brothers and nobody else of his age could take him in the wrestling ring. So, when he saw Bhima is having victory after victory and he's endearing himself to everybody, everybody seems to love him except himself, he thought the best thing to put him in place was to invite him into a wrestling match where everybody of the family, it's a large family, mind you, the whole family and the palace gathered, just a friendly match. It was a friendly match for others, but it was a fight to death for these two, without even a mock of a fight. Bhima put him down in moments and Duryodhana was shattered by this. He could not believe that somebody could actually take him down in the wrestling ring. The shame of it inflamed his anger and hatred to such a point that it was no more concealable. It was wide open, officially on hatred. It could not be contained or concealed anymore. It was simply on, all over the place. Duryodhana started plotting against Bhima's life. In the meantime, Shakuni, his uncle, entered the palace as an advisor, as a minister. You should know something about Shakuni as to how he became a Shakuni. Because today, in India, if you utter the word Shakuni, nobody thinks it's a name, it is a quality of deceit. A slime ball of a man. But how does somebody become a slime ball? 
Shakuni is Gandhari's brother. When Gandhari was married to Dhritarashtra, when the marriage party came to Hastinapur and after the marriage is over, Bhishma realized that Gandhari is technically a widow and people started talking the king has married a widow, technically. She married a goat, you remember. So, Bhishma got so angry that the Kuru clan has been deceived like this. So he put Gandhari's father and all her brothers under house imprisonment. Kind of too much hospitality where somebody even closes the door and opens the door for you or rather doesn't open it for you, just closes it for you. Just made to feel like guests, not made to feel like prisoners, just guests. But you know like the Hotel California <laughs> that kind of guess. <laughs> the law or the dharma of the day was such, the bride's family, when it comes for the first time to the house into which the girl is married, as long as they're being well treated, they cannot walk away. So they were being served and slowly the quantum of food kept on receding, but they're still being served. So they cannot leave, they cannot say we want to go because they're still being served, but the quantum of food kept on receding to a point where it just became a morsel, a person. So slowly they all started depleting because there's not enough food, but they're being served, great hospitality. It is like, you know, today if you go to the large hotels, a huge amount of cutlery comes, but if you open it, the food is only this much <laughs> So that kind of hospitality, but they're still technically being served, so they cannot go away. After some time, everybody became all bones, the father and all the brothers. Then, then among themselves they decided, if we live like this, it's obvious they want to kill us, but they're still serving us, we can't leave, this is our dharma, we can't go away, our daughter is here. So among themselves they decided, let us fast all of us, let one of us who is the most intelligent eat all the food and survive and take revenge on these people who are killing us softly. So among themselves, all of them decided to fast themselves to death and gave all their food to Shakuni. So as his brothers and his father were dying, Shakuni ate the food in front of them. As his brothers died one by one, it is said his father encouraged him to eat the organs of his brothers so that he becomes strong and lives. But as the brothers die, with a single purpose that when it is time he must go out and take revenge. So he can leave. When his father dies, he has to do karma for him, for the dead father. 
at that time he can say, I want to leave because my father is dead, I have to do karma in my land. So father said, when I die, you can leave, till then you eat the organs of your brothers. So he sat there, cut open their bodies, ate up their livers and kidneys and hearts and lived strong. Then the time of his father came, then the father took from the bed in which he was lying down, dying, he took his walking stick and whacked Shakuni on his ankle and cracked it. Shakuni screamed in pain and asked why. His father said, I have broken your leg so that you always limp and never forget why you were fed. Why you were fed with your brother's bodies, you never forget. Every time you limp, you know why you're limping and you must live for revenge and revenge only. And his father died and Shakuni left with a single purpose of destroying the Kuru house and he came back as their minister and he found appreciation and friendship with Duryodhana. Duryodhana thought he is the most brilliant advisor because Shakuni always had a way with everything. And when his father died, he said, when I die, you cut my fingers, you take my fingers and make dyes out of this, you know, the rolling dyes. And with the necessary occult power, I will make sure these dyes roll just the way you want it. Nobody can ever beat you in a dice game and this will come in handy for you someday. So he cut the fingers of his father, made dyes out of it and kept it with him, armed with these dyes. He went out to conquer the world. He was not a fighting man, he was plump of body, soft, but he was armed with his occult power dies that with this he believed that he's going to conquer the world. He found favor with Duryodhana because Duryodhana's emotions were poisoned with hatred and jealousy and Shakuni had enough ways to nourish poison and he nourished this continuously. Duryodhana is an angry man, not very deceitful. He will burst out with his emotions, he will speak out his heart. In fact, his heart is hang hanging out too often for a king. So when Duryodhana spoke like this, just for you to understand the mindset of Shakuni, when Duryodhana speaks out in front of his father, expressing himself, Shakuni tells him, Duryodhana, God gave speech to man not to express himself, but to hide what is in his mind. That is Shakuni. So with this kind, he nurtured the poison in Duryodhana's heart and made sure every cell in Duryodhana's heart, in, in his body became venomous. What was in one place, he made sure every cell in his body became venomous. He continuously nurtured this. 
Now, Shakuni told Duryodhana, there is no point if you have an enemy, pinching him, biting him, spitting on him, this is all ways of the fools. The moment you recognize somebody as your enemy, you just kill him. Anything short of that is the way of the stupid. Because if you pinch your enemy, if you abuse your enemy, if you do this and that with your enemy, your enemy will go grow stronger. Your enemy's heart will become stronger and probably you will be the one who will die, not him. The moment you recognize somebody as your enemy, you must end him. So Duryodhana asked, how? How do I kill my cousin brother in the palace? Shakuni gave him various plans. Duryodhana comes in front of Dhritarashtra and says, openly in front of his father. Any number of times I try to murder Bhima, but somehow he's getting away. Dhritarashtra gasped. Within the palace, two brothers are trying to kill each other, they're just sixteen years of age. He knew what is coming and he knew who should die. So one day, Shakuni advised him, this is not working, it's best we shift the scene of assassination outside the palace where there is more freedom to do what we want to do. Inside the palace, you're trying to get him in subtle ways but your cousin is too much of a bull, you can't kill him in subtle ways. Shakuni told him, your speech is not to express your heart, your speech is to hide what is in your mind. Be friend, Bhima. Love him. Don't wrestle with him. Hug him. Smile at him. Don't scowl at him. Befriend him. He is a fool, can't you see? You smile at him, he'll fall for it. So Duryodhana learned the art of slime. Duryodhana, a brave, fearless, no two ways kind of man, learned the art of slime from Shakuni. So now his hatred and jealousy started finding deceit. Deceit was absent in him, he was just a rage. But now he became deceitful, step by step Shakuni will guide him into the world of deceit. So he befriended all the five brothers particularly Bhima and everybody except Sahadeva fell for this. They all thought their cousin brother has really had a change of heart and he is in love with them and they started falling all over him. Only Sahadeva kept his distance, the wisest of the lot. How he got this wisdom is Pandu on a particular day when he was instructing his boys across a campfire in the forest, had told them, 
See, these sixteen years, I have done sadhana, I have not just stayed away from your mothers, I have done sadhana of brahmacharya, which has given me enormous power within myself and a tremendous amount of insight and vision and wisdom. But I am not a teacher, I do not know how to transmit this to you. But the day I die, all you have to do is, you must take a piece of my flesh and eat it. If you make my flesh part of your flesh, you will have the wisdom that I have gathered, you will not have to work for it. So when Pandu suddenly died and he was cremated, everybody else in their emotions completely forgot about this. Sad Sahadeva, the brooding youngest of the lot, was sitting there and he saw an ant carrying a small piece of Pandu's flesh. And he looked at this and he remembered what his father had said. He grabbed this little piece of flesh from the ant and ate it and wisdom and strength grew in him. He would have become a sage among kings. But Krishna saw this wisdom would stop the flow of destiny. So Krishna intervened at some point later. I'm coming at this so that this aspect is over for you. Krishna intervened and told Sahadeva, this is my dictate to you. You never express your wisdom. If somebody asks you a question, you always answer them with another question. You never express your wisdom in your life. This is my dictate for you. So Sahadeva always answered in questions that very few had the wisdom to understand. Those who understood saw how wise he was. Those who did not understand, they thought he's just trying to create ambiguity about everything. Because people thought he's acting wise by answering in questions, but he was following a dictate that was laid down by Krishna. Krishna said, you should never answer a question. You should never reveal your wisdom to anybody. If you ask, if somebody asks you something, you answer them in a question. So they don't understand that you're answering them unless they have the wisdom to grasp it. So only Sahadeva looked into Duryodhana's heart and saw pure poison. All the other four brothers were too enamored. Duryodhana showered gifts on them. The only gift that Bhima liked was food. So Duryodhana fed him as much as he wanted. Bhima, the moment food came in front of him, his gluttony was such, he forgot everything. Whoever gave him the food was his friend. He was eternally hungry, so he ate and ate and became bigger and bigger. And one day, Duryodhana planned a picnic. Shakuni carefully laid out the plan of the picnic. So they arranged a pavilion on the riverbank in a place called Pramanakoti. So all of them went there and food was served and served in excess. Duryodhana particularly played the host to the hilt, came to every Pandavan, fed them by hand and they were overwhelmed with love, the fools. 
Only Sahadeva sat in a corner, everybody else ate and splurged. And then the desert was served. If a plateful of something was served for everyone, a similar quantum of food was served for Bhima separately. So when the desert went around, a full plate of desert went to Bhima, which was poisoned with a certain type of venom, which would slowly take effect. And Bhima ate a whole plateful of this sweet, and they all went out to swim in the river. They all swam, boys playing around, everything. Then Bhima came on the bank and sank. Everybody else went back to the pavilion for their fun and stories and things. Duryodhana led them back, came back and saw Bhima was fast asleep, almost semi-conscious. Then he tied up his hands and legs and rolled him into the river. Bhima sank. He sank into a place which was full of venomous snakes and all of them came and bit him hundreds of times. And the venom that he had already taken in and this venom acted as an antidote for him. It is very common knowledge that in Siddha Vaidya in South India, venom is treated with venom. As you know, modern medicine also has started using similar things that if you have a certain virus, it's been… you are treated with the same infection. You know Edward Jenner and the stuff. So when these hundreds of snake bites happened, it started working as an antidote and slowly he revived. And from there, when they saw the snake bites revived him, they took him as one of them. The king of the Nagas took him aside, saw this boy, who was the son of Vayu and told him, see you have been poisoned like this. Fortunately they rolled you into the river. If they had just left you there, you would be dead. But this is the way of deceit, it will try to overdo things. If they had just left him there, he would have died, but they are not happy with that. They don't want to take a chance, so he rolled him into the river and did just the opposite. Now we take you as one of us, so we will give you an elixir which nobody else knows except in this part of the world. And they prepared an elixir which is a combination of various types of venoms and mercury and certain types of herbs, which is in South India today known as Navapashana or the nine forms of deadly poisons which is used as medicine. Preparing Navapashana or preparing this kind of elixir needs extraordinary care that one drop of something more or one drop less of something could kill the man. So they carefully prepared this and they gave it to him so that he became… became an indomitable human being, that his strength rose to almost superhuman levels because of consumption of this elixir. By then, when they saw Bhima is missing, the other four brothers got distraught and now they realize they've been conned, but they cannot openly express because Duryodhana is heartbroken. He's learned the art from Shakuni. 
he is heartbroken, he is running all over the place looking for Bhima. Where is he, my brother, my love, my beloved brother, my only companion, crying all over the place. But Sahadeva said, they have done him in. So the four brothers went back home in utter shame, being taken in by gifts and food and nonsense and now they've lost their brother. They went back to the mother and they told Kunti what happened. Kunti sat down in meditation and sank into it for about three days. Then she said, my son is not dead, look for him. These four brothers and their friends searched the forest, dived into the river, looked here, looked there, they found him nowhere. Then they gave up. Then Kunti thought maybe her vision is wrong and then they prepared for the fourteenth day ceremony for Bhima. They are doing the ritual for his post-death and Duryodhana is all tears and arranging for a big ceremony. For such a big man who died, he needs a big ceremony. Hired cooks and preparing a huge meal, in his heart it's a celebration but on the outside it is mourning. He is completely learning, he is, he is doing well with Shakuni's tutelage. A man who was pure rage has become rage and enormous deceit. The vegetables were being cut, all kinds of vegetables to prepare a big feast on the fourteenth day which is the normal thing in this country to break the mourning people feast and come out of it on the fourteenth day. And Bhima walked back to the palace. To the joy of his brothers and mother and Duryodhana and his brothers could not believe and above all Shakuni was in terror. He did not know whether this is real or he is a ghost. Bhima is just about ready to go on a rampage. Then Vidura comes in and advises them, this is not the time to bring out your enmity into the open. If it comes into the open, they are still trying to kill you by deceit. That means they are still trying to do this undercover, which means you still have some safe room. If you blow this cover, then they'll outright go and kill you in the palace. They will bring their soldiers and kill you. Right now they're trying to poison you, they're trying to assassinate you, but if you bring it out into the open, they will just kill you openly. So don't bring it into the open now. You are just five. They are hundred plus a whole army of soldiers. So they contain their rage. But Bhima, after this fourteen days of being in the Nagaloka, elixir had made him strong, but it had also made him enormously hungry. When he saw a big meal was about to get ready and everybody abandoned cooking, because the man came back, there is no more feast. He said, this is not it. And he went there and because he did not know much cooking at that time, he put all the vegetables together and cooked the dish. In the Aryan culture, it is a norm that certain vegetables are not mixed but he put all the vegetables together and made a dish. 
which even today is one of the favorites in one part of South India called Aviyal. Aviyal means mixture. He put every kind of vegetable and prepared Aviyal. People are still eating Aviyal. Everything that was there in the kitchen, he put it all in one cauldron and cooked it and today you think it's a great dish. <laughs> so this continued, their enmity grew. Now the fire brothers were on total guard and they start building their own defenses, their own people inside the palace. Till now, they did not understand the intrigue of living in the palace. They thought they were just boys, but now they were fighting for a kingdom. It is no more boyish fight. In the meantime, Drona, Drona, the son of Bharatvaja, who was also the disciple of his father Bharatvaja, born in a conch shell, not born to a woman. He was conceived in a conch shell. Because of this, he was called Drona. And because of this, it was said, no man can kill him unless he is sitting or lying down, eyes closed. If his eyes are open, nobody can kill him. He learned the art of archery and other martial arts from his father Bharatvaja and then went to Parashurama, the great sage, the angry sage if you still remember, who took a vow against all kshatriyas to end their clans and who killed hundreds and hundreds of kshatriya kings to revenge for what had happened to him and his family in the past. So he went to Parashurama when Parashurama turned old and he wanted to give away all his arms, when I say arms, these are astras. This is a kind of weaponry which is charged with occult powers within every astra has a mantra attached to it. So because he had kind of become old and given up his fighting times, so he wanted to give away his astras to suitable people. So Drona heard about this and went there and grabbed all the astras that he could get. Parashurama puts a condition, I am giving away all the most sacred weapons to you. With this you can win the world, but you should never ever teach a Kshatriya. This is just the reverse of the normal law. You should never teach a Kshatriya anything about these things. Drona promised, but walked straight to Hastinapur and sought employment with the king to teach it to the Kshatriyas, that's the man. He's an ambitious man, full of principles but no scruples. He knows all the dharma, all the shastras, all the rules, all the scriptures but absolutely no scruples within himself. A great teacher but a crooked human being given to greed. So. He came straight to Hastinapur. The brothers, the five and the hundred, all of them were training with Kripacharya, who is another teacher, who was teaching them the martial arts. One day the boys were playing ball. The ball those days was not made of rubber or plastic or this kind. They were usually made of weeds, weeds rolled up tightly 
to play. Even today you will see in Danikandi, our tribal children still play with those kind of balls. They take forest weed and tightly wrapped, makes a ball and it does quite good. So they were playing with this ball and the ball accidentally fell into a well. And all of them were looking at it but nobody had a clue how to get it out because the well was deep and there were no steps. So Drona walked in the direction, he was observing the children. Then he came and he said, are you not Kshatriyas? They said, yes. Then don't any of you know archery? Arjuna said, yes, I am archer and I want to be the greatest archer in the world. So Drona sized him up and he said, if you are an archer, why can't you get this ball out? They asked, how can we get a ball out from a well with archery? He said, here I will show you. He plucked certain blades of bamboo or grass which were rigid enough and he threw one after another and made a rope out of it and slowly pulled the ball out of the well. They were amazed because this was magical. He performed magic with weeds. They said, can you teach it to us? They said, he said, I will not teach unless I'm accepted as a guru. Then they took him to Bhishma. Bhishma immediately recognized Drona, he knew who he was and he knew of his competence and he employed him as the Raja Guru, that is the teacher for the young boys who are being raised to be kings. So the training started and competition started between the Pandavas and the Kauravas. At every point, competition started. In in the lance or the spear, Yudhishthira was the best. With the mace, Bhima and Duryodhana were equal. Nobody could say who was better than whom. When they went at, they went at each other with a mace, they were like, they would fight themselves to exhaustion, but nobody could beat the other. When it came to archery, Arjuna stood out. When it came to swordsmanship and horse riding, Nakula and Sahadeva dominated. So they grew to become great warriors after a few years of training, which saw a series of competitions between them. Arjuna's only thing in his life was, he wants to be the best archer in the world. He's a heavily insecure man. A great warrior, a very withdrawn man, very disciplined, absolutely focused but terribly insecure throughout his life. Always his concern is, what if somebody becomes a better archer than me? He stretched it to such inhuman points. On a certain day, a tribal boy named Ekalavya, came to Drona and expressed his wish to learn archery. He is not even an Arya, he is known as a Nishada, a particular tribe, who are the aboriginal tribes of India.
aborigin is not the word, the indigenous tribes of India and this boy is dark complexioned. The scriptures go about to describe him, when he walked he was like a panther. He was so dark in his skin, dreadlocked, a graceful human being with enormous strength and a great archer and he came to learn from Drona. Drona said, you are not a Kshatriya so I cannot teach you. Then he fell at Drona's feet with great humility and said, I understand your social norm, just bless me, with your blessing I will learn. Then Drona looked at this humility and sincerity, put his hand on his head and said, I bless you. So Ekalavya went into the forest, went to the river, took out the clay from the river and like a madman he started working to build the form of Drona. See, if you want to be great musician, it's not that you need a great voice, you need great ears. It's your listening quality which makes you into a musician, not your mouth. Similarly, if you want to be an archer, it's not about your hands, it is about the keenness of your eyes. How keenly can you observe something? How keenly can your attention stay on something? Arjuna displays this quality in many ways. When they're training one day, the famous story that almost everybody in India would know is, Drona wants to check their archery skills, puts up a small wooden bird on top of a tree and brings each one of them, gives them a bow and an arrow and says, aim at the eye of the bird, not the bird, the eye of the bird, the little parakeet. One by one, the Kauravas and then the other Pandavas, everybody aim. What do you see? Means the leaves, the tree, I see the mango, I see the bird, I see this, I see the sky, everything. Drona dismisses them one by one. And then comes finally Arjuna's chance. When Drona asks, what do you see? He stands in the famous stance which is called as Adhila. In yoga we use this stance a lot because Adhila stabilizes the body. For an archer, a stable posture is most important. You hold this, if you as much as waver this much, you will be miles off your target. So he stood in the position of Adhila and looked at the bird. Drona asked, what do you see? I just see a, a bird's eye. He said, you are the only one who is ready for advanced training in archery. And he trained Arjuna in archery and he later on trained Arjuna in a certain type of archery which about shooting blind, shooting in the darkness, without seeing the target, hitting the target. So he makes Arjuna eat his food every day in pitch dark cell. So he tells him, if you can put food into your mouth without seeing, why can't you put the arrow into the heart of your enemy without seeing him? Okay? So, Arjuna trains in all this and he believes he's the best archer. And now Ekalavya comes and takes the blessing, goes. When he comes to Drona, Drona falls in love with this boy because 
the way he pays attention to Drona's form, he just looks at Drona, not missing anything about him. This is the quality of an archer, that he doesn't miss anything with his eyes. Anybody who misses this and that, he will definitely miss it when he shoots. So because he took in Drona's image, he went there and created a clay image of him and bowed down to this image and started practicing with this blessing. One day, the Pandavas and Kaurava, the Pandavas particularly went into the forest for hunting. Their hunting dog went ahead of them. The dog started barking, they thought it has found a prey for them and they started pursuing it. Then the dog just became silent. They thought a tiger or a bear must have killed the dog and they went in search of the dog but then the dog came back to them with six arrows around its mouth, clamping its mouth like this so that it cannot bark. When they saw this, the first question that Bhima asked was, is Drona somewhere in the forest? Because nobody else can do this. Even Arjuna cannot do this because in a split second somebody has to fire six arrows for it to become a clamp around the dog's mouth. Only Dronacharya can do this. Is Drona in the forest? They go looking and then they see this young boy, a strapling youth who is like a living panther, dark of skin, dreadlocked with his arrow pointed straight at Arjuna's temple. Arjuna gasps because he knows these eyes. An eye which is focused like this will not miss, he knows that. It is not a wavering eye because the moment Ekalavya looked like this, the five brothers, he knew who is the archer and he knew who he should get first. So he knew when Arjuna saw this, he recognized these eyes. These eyes are not going to miss and he gasped. And he asked, who are you? He said, I'm Ekalavya. And Arjuna was already distraught that somebody is a better archer than him. How did you learn this? Where did you get it? You are not even a Kshatriya, he started cribbing and crying. He said, Drona is my teacher. Then Arjuna ran from that place. Leaving his four brothers, he ran from that place straight to where his teacher Drona was and he cried, you promised me that I will be the greatest archer but you have made somebody else better than me. This is not fair, you promised me. So Drona asked, what are you talking about? He said, there is this boy in the jungle who is better than me and he says, you are his teacher, he's got your statue and he's practicing. Drona bring who he is. He said, okay, I have promised you, and you are important for this kingdom and I won't get my fee if you are not the best, so let me fix it. So he came into the forest, met Ekalavya. Ekalavya saw 
his guru, a presumed guru, he's just taken him as his guru, he thought him nothing, fell at his feet. In great ecstasy he welcomed him and brought him flowers and fruit. But Drona had something else in his heart. He said, it's very wonderful you become a great archer, but where is my Guru Dakshina? That means, where is my fee? Unless the guru gets his fee, he will not release him in those days to go and use what he has learnt. So where is my fees? Where is my Guru Dakshina? So Ekalavya said, whatever you ask is yours. Is that so? Durna, Drona asked. Ekalavya said, yes master, whatever you ask is yours. Then Drona said, I want the thumb of your right hand. He's an archer. Without this, there is no archery. And he said, I want the thumb. When he was just about to take it away, when Ekalavaya pulled out the sword to take off his own right thumb, for one moment, Drona held that act. Wait, he said, and looked at Arjuna whether he will relent. Arjuna looked at it just coldly, as if it's a ritual that has to be gone about with. Because though there are many wonderful qualities about Arjuna, his insecurity is the biggest thing, that he want to be the best archer on the planet. So with this thumb cut, now he was once again the best archer on the planet. So if somebody runs faster than you, you break their legs and you are the fastest runner, so when Karna came, Drona could not ask for his thumb because Karna is not Drona's disciple. So when Duryodhana saw there is an archer for taking, because Duryodhana's biggest concern is among his brothers, there is no archer. He is confident one day he will beat Bhima. He is confident many of his brothers will kill Nakula and Sahadeva. He is confident they can knock down Yudhishthira one day by just giving a sermon on dharma. <laughs> but he's only worried about Arjuna because there is no archer to match him. When he saw Karna and his competence, he immediately grabbed him. And Karna walking into the palace as a king, being Duryodhana's friend and with Shakuni and Karna's intelligence and wisdom and skill, Duryodhana's lot became much, much stronger than it ever was. Suddenly they are more competent, more focused because Karna's intelligence and skills came into the whole array of things that they had. Now Duryodhana thought, this is time. It is time we put an end to these five people. And even Dhritarashtra thought, things are growing in such a way, if you allow this to grow, there will be civil war. People are arranging themselves with Pandavas and Kauravas. Loyalties are shifting here and there. Within the palace and in the city, some people are getting identified with Kauravas, some people are getting identified with Pandavas. The city is splitting into two. If you allow this to grow, there will be a civil war. So somebody has to go. Naturally, it is not his children who will go. So he thought the Pandavas should go. 
but he doesn't want to say as much. Bhishma watched the whole situation with great concern because his allegiance is only to the country and already a civil war is brewing. It's in the making, it's not it on the street, but it is in the making in everybody's minds and hearts it is happening. Dhritarashtra took advice from the most devious of advisors and all of them advised, it's time we put an end to Pandavas, otherwise there will be a civil war. So Shakuni came up with a plan. He said, let us send them to a holy place. You know the holiest place where it is. There are many holy places around in the country, but the holiest place is always up there. <laughs> so let us send them on a pilgrimage to a holy place. Kashi is the greatest place. And they encouraged the king. Surah Dhritarashtra called Yudhishthira and said, I feel because you lost your father and you have been through so much difficulty from your engage, it is good for you to visit a holy place. I want you to go to Kashi, Varanasi and spend a year, worship Shiva, Pashupati, who is the greatest archer and the greatest warrior has ever been. Worship him for a year and then come back, you will be fit to be a king. Already Yuvaraja, uh, Yudhishthira has been coronated as Yuvaraj, that means he is the prince in waiting to become a king. So Yudhishthira went back to Bhishma and he said, our uncle loves us so much that he wants us to go and receive the blessings of Pashupati himself. He wants us to go to Kashi on a pilgrimage, which we would have done in our old age anyway. But he wants us because he loves us so much, he does not want us to postpone such an auspicious thing in our life to our old age. He wants us to do it right now. Bhishma did not miss the sarcasm but ignored it because his allegiance is to the nation and he knows civil war is brewing and he has no way to quell the Kauravas and he has no way to protect the Pandavas. So somewhere he has accepted they moving away is the best thing to happen. So Duryodhana came and told his father, you somehow send them to Kashi, rest I will take care from one holy place to another holy place. I will take care of that, you just send them to Kashi first. In the meantime, he planned an elaborate plan with Shakuni's help and another of his friend. They built a palace made of combustible material, covered it, plastered it with mud and painted it beautifully but inside it was all combustible material mainly made of lock. Lock means a certain kind of wax, a wax palace beautifully decorated made near the entrance of Kashi.
for them to say a nice palace for the five brothers and the mother to stay. So the five brothers were on guard by now, they knew their lives were under threat. And Kunti particularly was like a fierce tigress looking out for her children all the time. So Vidura came to see them off and the Kauravas did not want to leave the Pandavas alone for a moment unguarded. So they were seeing them off with tears in their eyes. By now, Duryodhana has learned the art from Shakuni. He can cry when he wants. Shakuni could cry any time he wanted. But without a, an iota of emotion about anything, because he saw human speech and human expression as a way of hiding what is there in a human being, not to find expression for what a human being is. So when they were leaving, there was no room. They were walking into a trap. Vidura's spies had found out about something like this, not clear. So he told them in another language, which is called the Melicha language, which is the language of the tribals, which the Aryans normally did not know to Yudhishthira, only Yudhishthira and Vidura knew the language and he said, you must understand fire is a worse weapon than a sword, more dangerous weapon than a sword. And even as a rat protect itself from winter by burrowing, so you should. And here I am sending you this uh, Kanakan, a Tamil man who was a miner, yes, a Tamilian man who was a miner, who came from the Dravidian culture, who was a miner because even then and even today, the maximum number of labor in mining, except today machines have come, where there are no machines, where they have to dig wells and do things, even today Tamil people are the best in the world because they were the first among the people to start digging wells, deep open wells. At least in this country, they are the best because they dug such deep wells. Even today you will see anywhere well digging means Tamil men will be working. So Kanakan was sent with them. So they went into this palace. The palace was heavily perfumed because they didn't want the smell of inflammable material to be revealed. This heavily perfumed palace they went into, there's a whole lot of drama there, we will skip the drama. They knew something was coming, so they got Kanakan inside and whenever they put up a guard, when Yudhishthira was walking into the palace, he noticed the moat that was drug a, dug around the palace to protect them. Not only had stakes on the outside, also had stakes inside. He thought, why stakes inside the moat, the inside lining of the moat? It looks like they don't want people who are in the palace to come out, rather than people outside the palace to get into the palace. More than protecting people in the palace, it was like preventing people in the palace to run out. So what are they planning? What are they planning? So Sahadeva sat in one corner brooding and that little bit of ant's food he had eaten worked wonders for him. He saw the place like an ant, he just 
whatever you don't know in your house, you ask an ant, he knows all those corners, nooks and other things in your house, which you may own the house that you do not know, but he knows every nook and corner of your house. So he crawl, he just scratched the wall like an ant. And then when he, he went and told the brothers and the mother, the palace is made of luck. If it catches fire, it is just a question of a minute or two before all of us are done. So now, if they try to run away from this, they'll openly kill them on the streets. So, Kanakan was digging a… secretly digging a tunnel. And after a month-long digging, which took them to a riverbank, the tunnel, they arranged a party. By now, the spy, Duryodhana's spy who was acting as a guard, kind of relaxed because these people are eating well, laughing with him, chatting with him, they also learned the act and doing everything normally and seemed to be enjoying the palace so much, he also kind of relaxed, so they threw a party on a full, full moon night. By this time, Kunti had taken time off to make friendship with a Nishada woman who had five sons, he invited them often to the palace, fed them well, took care of them and they helped them around in the palace. And on that fateful night, they served everybody food including the spy and they spiked the drink. The five sons of the… and the Nishada woman and the spy, they spiked all their drinks and put them to sleep, escaped through the tunnel and set fire to the palace and left through the tunnel. The spy and that tribal woman and her five sons were burnt to death. These people escaped through the tunnel and Vidura had sent spies to wait for them. There's an extraordinary description in the script in the Mahabharata which says they got into your boat and this is incredible, they got into your boat and there was a spy waiting with his face covered and the boat, Bhima was looking for the oar. There was no oars in the boat. But the spy handled a few levers and the boat started humming quietly and it just moved upstream, humming, without oars. So they were completely amazed, they did not know whether they are in reality or they are already dead. Motorboat, I don't know how the hell they imagined this or they really had one or they imported one, I don't know what. But this description is there or somebody had such fertile vision that they could see after five thousand years somebody will make a motorboat. Or it's just a fanciful imagination, but uh, a boat which hums by itself and self-propelled without oars went upstream and took them deep into the jungle. So many things happen here, one of the important things that happen is uh, one day a Rakshasa, a wild man, who is almost on the edge of being a beast, who is cannibalistic, 
sees these five brothers and the mother and wants to eat them up. Anyway, when they leave the palace and the whole town comes and mourns and in Hastinapur, Dhritarashtra will act out grief. Duryodhana will not eat for three days in public but eats in private. And everybody goes into mourning and big mornings are held, you know, prayer meetings are held, everything is done, making it appropriate that it was accidental. Not knowing that the brothers have escaped because the bodies of this Nishada woman and her sons make it look like the Pandavas and Kunti have died. So their, tract well, their tracks well covered, they're in the jungle and when Kanakan comes and sees the body, bodies of this Nishada woman and her five sons, the thought that passes through his mind is, will ever Kunti and her five sons be absolved of this crime? Kunti is cold of purpose because if she did not leave those dead bodies, they will pursue them. Now that their plot has been revealed, they will pursue them wildly and hunt them down. So she had to leave six dead bodies and she has no qualms about doing that. So in the forest, this beast of a man who is cannibalistic attacks and wants to eat them but uh, instead of that, Bhima kills him in one big fight and his sister, his name is Hidamba and his sister Hidambi falls in love with Bhima. Then Bhima trims her hair and gives her a waxing, makes her look attractive, <laughs> falls in love with her <laughs> and marries her. She's a forest creature, he civilizes her a little bit and he wants to marry her. He's lusting for her but he's feeling little guilty because his elder brother is not yet married. So Yudhishthira frees him. He says, yes the convention says the elder brother should marry first, but heart follows no convention and we bow down to that. You can marry Hidimba. Nobody else wants to have anything to do with her. <laughs> so, Hidimbi stays with Bhima for a year and bears a child who is completely bald when he is born, hairless on his head. So they call him Gatochgata. Gatochgata means pot-headed. His head is like a pot and is a huge baby. And later on he comes in very handy in the battle because he is of enormous strength and a great warrior he becomes. Then Kunti sees that Bhima is getting too domesticated by his wife. And she knows if he goes this way, the brothers will get separated. The brothers get separated, they will never get the kingdom. So she puts a stricture, you cannot live with this Rakshasa woman, she's not an Arya, you cannot live with her. She should live away from us and she removes Bhima and the four brothers from the forest and takes them away to a small town called Ekachakra. There a certain incident happens. 
nearby a cannibalistic being established himself near the town and started ravaging the city and picking up people, animals and whatever that came his way and eating it up. So the town council made a deal with him that once a week they will send a cartload of food along with the cart goes to bullocks and a man. So the food and the man is a desert. So it was agreed every week they will send this cartload and he will not attack the town, he will spare the people, rest of the people. So within the town they came to an arrangement that every week it is the turn of one family to cook the food, a cartload of food, two bulls and a man from the family to go to the cannibal who was living close by, his name was Bakasura. In the Ure Mayanamahe Rik, Yellam and the Gugail Padangirikum Marakanalan, Avanakadinamum over a vetilir in the Unavir at the Chellavendum, Kanakupadi, Indranam Vida, Nani and Magane Anupavendum. Yena Ungal Mahani Anupavendum, Avan Siruvan. Yenal Yena Sayamudi, Mama, Yellam Engal Talevidi. Kavalai Padadinga, Mami, Vidi Namal Matamudium. நான் என் மகனை அனுப்புகிறேன் என்ன உங்கள் மகனையா அதை என்னால் அனுமதிக்க முடியாது நீங்கள் என் வீட்டு விருந்தாளி இது என் தர்மத்திற்கு ஆகாது அவன் உங்கள் மகனை சாப்பிட்டு விடுவான் ராட்சசன் என் மகனை சாப்பிட்டு விடுவானா என் பீமனையா பார்க்கலாம் பீமா அம்மா அகோர பசியா இருக்கிறது அம்மா உனக்கு விருந்து காத்திருக்கிறது விருந்தா உடனே சென்று சாப்பிட்டு வா அப்படியே செய்கிறேன் அம்மா பீமா வாகனம் புறப்படட்டும் Bima Sena! 